Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining a new season of Smart City Policy Stories. My name is Matt Curtis. I founded Smart City Policy Group, and today we're going to have a great conversation. We're very excited to uh, have with us Travis County Commissioner Bridget Shage. Bridget, how are you doing? <laughs> nice to be here, Matt. I'm really thrilled to be part of this. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you. And I'm just going to speak really quickly to your background. Please feel free to fill in any of the blanks. You came here in 1988 to work on issues related to clean water with Clean Water Action. You later got involved with uh, the Save Our Springs Alliance. You were very involved with some great environmental protection causes in Central Texas. Then you ran for city council and was one of our really probably more better known city council members of the last several decades. I mean, you you definitely left your imprint on City Hall. Uh, And then I think if I remember correctly, 2014, you ran for a county commissioner, uh, and you've been serving Travis County there for the last few years. And in that time, you also got a nice award through Governing Magazine. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was a Great Women in Government, uh, a Governing Magazine article that uh, named you as one of our uh, people to watch, faces to watch in, in government. So yeah, that's my quick snapshot of your background. Did I miss oh, and, and Matt, great PR. Thank you so much. I'm going to have you intro me every time. <laughs> well, it's great to have you, you know, and you really have been such a, a voice and a just a constant needed um, uh, servant for a lot of different issues. But the one that comes to mind for me the most is issues related to uh, our, our climate crisis, related to our environment, and re- related to you know reducing our uh, dependence on uh, you know fossil fuels and focusing more on renewables. You know, you've just been there for our community, but also for building a national strategy around those things. Uh, I know you're working on a variety of different programs related to that and those and other things at the county here in Travis County. And I know so many of our other local leaders around the country could learn from some of the work that you're doing. Talk to us a little bit about a couple of the initiatives you're working on. Thanks, Matt. I I really appreciate it. Um, I I had kind of an epiphany um, uh, that led me to run for the the county uh, commissioner's position. And it it was that we weren't doing enough. This is like in 2012 or so. We weren't doing enough to prepare people for the impacts of climate change. And I really saw it through the eyes of my children and realized, okay, children everywhere, people everywhere are really gonna need to be better prepared. And um, and for people who are still debating around climate change, I just said, do you think your community leaders should do what they can within limits to help you get out of harm's way from floods and wildfires and the hurricanes and tornadoes and increasingly destructive weather? And everyone said, well, yes. And I said, perfect. Then we'll skip the debate about whether or not it's happening and what's causing it. And let's focus on on what we need to do. And so uh, when I first took office, I worked with a, a community. People may not know, but Central Texas is extremely fire prone to wildfires. And uh, there was a community in my precinct that was surrounded by preserves, had one long, windy, one way in, one way out road. And they knew that they were vulnerable to wildfires and had tried for a number of years to get something going just within their neighborhood organization, but couldn't sustain it. And so I had actually gotten the idea to do a neighborhood wildfire drill from a former county um, uh, official from Bastrop, whose house burned in the Bastrop fire in 2011. And he said, you know, we do wildfire drills in school, but we don't really do them in our neighborhoods. And so if people are home when a wildfire breaks out, they don't, they may not know what to do. So uh, we started with that premise. Uh, this community called Comanche Trail 
was interested. And uh, I said, you know, this is an experiment. We don't even know if this is going to work, if it'll be helpful or valuable. So you got to know going in that you're kind of going to be the guinea pigs. And they were all for it. So we spent about a year or more um, um, creating it. We tried to find examples and I couldn't really find any good examples of neighborhood-based fire evacuation drills. So we kind of created it from scratch and we kept a lot of documentation and then created a template for it. Um, but we ran the drill, about 50% of the community participated, which was pretty high participation. Um, and then we had, a, we actually, I'd found a, a professor at UT who sort of specialized in the communication around disasters. And she had, she's a sociology professor. She had her whole class, her class create a full, you know, poll survey, scientific survey, and they surveyed everyone who participated. Um, and the results were really uh, pretty impressive. I mean, people felt that it was very valuable. They wanted to continue uh, doing it. Um, and in particular, they felt um, closer to their neighbors. They felt more connected to their community and they felt safer. So, um, so we created a template from it and it's on the Travis County website. If you just Google neighborhood wildfire evacuation drill, Travis County, it, it'll pull it up with a kind of a how-to on how to do it. Um, but it's that kind of thing that I think we need more of. And we've got a great little kind of learning laboratory here at the county to do those kinds of things. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine uh, knowing the Central Texas kind of more rural road situation. And this is, you know, these are roads just outside of the 11th largest city, probably soon to be 10th largest city in the United States of Austin, Texas, but rural roads just outside, but still in our, within our county. But every community has roadways like that, where it's kind of one way in, one way out. Uh, the, the concept of doing an emergency preparedness drill just blows my mind because uh, how do you get people quickly out of kind of little box canyons or however they would be described uh, very quickly and effectively if you did have a brush fire or forest fires? Exactly. And that, and that was the scenario that the, because uh, we worked extensively with the, <clears throat> the city of Austin firefighters and what are known in Texas as emergency services districts, which are essentially the, uh, the fire department's for rural areas that are, uh, there's like 13 of them um, throughout Travis County. And they actually designed the drill so that halfway through it, they would tell people the road is blocked. The fire has crossed the road. We can't get out the one way, only one way in and out. So you've got to go down to the lake because the road went down to a park at the lake that was you know, a cleared area and you were adjacent to the water. And that's a real life scenario. Um, and so uh, it was a, it was a great exercise. And I think people really felt like they learned, they learned how to be prepared uh, for something like that, that they're fearful of and that they know could happen to their community someday. Did that activity lead to maybe working on the notification system that you worked on? Um, you know, that they were kind of related. And I, and I'm, I'm really thrilled. We, we won a national association of counties award for that wildfire drill. And I think that's the kind of thing where, you know, when one place comes up with a good idea, um, these awards are a great way of sort of disseminating that information so that other communities can learn from it and, and adapt it. Um, but the emergency notification system is part of like this big onion, you know, related to preparedness and, 
how people get information about disasters and, and emergencies. And um, I kind of stumbled on it because I, when I got elected and took office in 2015, I joined the regional council of governments uh, in our uh, Travis County, Tin County area, it's called Cap Cog. And I think this is true nationwide. The Cogs get the federal funding and have the responsibility for the kind of uh, structure of the 911 systems regionally and also the emergency notification system funding. And um, uh, when I first got on the COG, I was really interested to learn, you know, how does this work and how do you maintain it and, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and when I first got on, I was thrilled to see that just in Travis County, just one of the 10 counties had over half a million phone numbers in the database. And typically nationally, the statistics are something around maybe 10 to 12% participation, if you're lucky, uh, for people opting into the systems. And I was like, how did you guys get so many phone numbers? This is amazing. <laughs> and they said, well, we just swept all the landlines in when we started the system years ago. Um, and then I said, well, how many people still have landlines? Is this still functional? And that began the process of us examining, you know, is the database current? Are we really reaching the people we need to reach? And uh, by that analysis, they discovered, because they didn't know it previously, but they discovered that 75% of the database, at least in Travis County, went to large buildings like government buildings and hospitals and um, call centers and fax machines weren't really reaching people the way they needed to reach them. So we began a process of upgrading it and we uh, we transitioned the system from a, a older analog landline-based system to a, a very modern and nimble cell phone-based system. And we increased the reach from 7% to 70%. So we know that when there's an emergency and we send out a notification or information, it's reaching people. And we just we just found out we uh, we won a National Association of Counties Award for that upgrade as well. But that's another one where I think a lot of places may have these older systems in place. And, you know, a, a lot of times people are just not examining what their current systems are. So this is an opportunity for people to look and see, do they have a system that's largely landline based because if if it is, it's time for an upgrade. It makes all the sense in the world, you know. So your title company or bank after hours is getting a notification. Exactly. <laughs> when you've left the office for a few hours, you're not getting it where you are. My parents use their landline. My 80, 85 year old parents use their landline to block uh, sales calls. So exactly. Turn exactly. the answering machine all the way down, and when it fills up, they erase it and they let it get going again. Exactly. So yeah, you want to make sure to get that information to the people who need it when they need it, right? Right. Uh, and that's just imperative. And all of that wraps into your work on climate. I mean, frankly, you know, that the the, the symptom of natural nat, natural disasters is, is something that we're going to see more and more as the climate continues to change. Exactly. You also worked on some issues related to uh, reducing greenhouse emissions um, in Central Texas through kind of a, a, a unique path, getting people to telecommute. Yeah, we get the to telecommute. We and I think a lot of people had the same experience, so this should be familiar to folks. At the beginning of the pandemic, everybody just scrambled and grabbed their laptops and ran home, and then you know figured out a system for doing their work from home because we didn't know how contagious it was. We didn't know how we didn't have a vaccine for it, uh, and so in those, if people remember in that first month or so, 
you were hearing reports from around the world where like people in India were saying, oh my God, we're seeing the night sky for the first time. Or in Italy, the water in the canals in Venice is clear. We can see to the bottom of the canal. We can see the fish in the water. And, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in uh, Africa, we can see the snow on the, <clears throat> on the mountains. So um, it was a, I think it was a real eye-opening experience. Uh, all over for people to see how much traffic congestion um, was eliminated. I mean, we had terrible traffic congestion in Austin and we solved that overnight <laughs> with, a, with a, a large scale real-time telecommuting um, experiment, really. Um, and <clears throat> my um, now former colleague, uh, Gerald Doherty, who was very conservative and we, we frequently didn't see eye to eye on, on, on some environmental issues, he and I worked together on a telecommuting initiative for Travis County. And he was the one who threw out the 75% goal. And we took it to our county managers and had conversations with them at first. And then we brought it to the court and adopted it. And our goal is to have 75% of our eligible employees, meaning people who don't physically have to be at work to do their job. So they could, they could do, them, do it remotely. So the goal is 75% of eligible employees telecommuting on a permanent basis. So um, we're having tremendous success with that. Um, we had done a greenhouse gas inventory a few years before and identified that our building energy uses uh, were our largest source of greenhouse gas emissions and our employee commute um, traveling to work by car was the second largest source of our greenhouse gas emissions. So with this telecommuting initiative, we saved, we reduced greenhouse gas emissions in our buildings because we weren't heating and cooling them as much because they weren't full. And we dramatically reduced greenhouse gas emissions on employee commute. And we saved $1.3 million on our utility bills. Um, we increased productivity. I think that was the real surprise for a lot of people. Employee productivity went up. It makes sense if you think about it. People got to work faster. They weren't stuck in traffic and grumpy, you know, by the time they got to work. Um, and employee morale improved. And we reduced our portion of the share of uh, traffic congestion. And in fact, I had the privilege to go to the Glasgow United Nations Climate uh, Conference of Parties last fall. Uh, and I brought an infographic that uh, that talked about our success with telecommuting. And the subtitle was, if Texas can do it, you can too. Yeah. Um, because everybody had the experience with telecommuting. We just made the decision to make it a permanent feature and utilize it to save money, increase productivity, reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. And it will also free up some of our real estate. And so uh, we've hired Deloitte as a consultant to look at the opportunities for reuse of some of our um, county real estate that we're not using as much. So there's a lot of really interesting uh, things that are continuing to evolve from that. Um. Yeah, you know, that is fascinating. The, uh, we, I wonder too, your precinct goes from the bulk of the center of the city through kind of north central uh, part of Austin and, and throughout the rest of Travis County. And it includes Pflugerville, correct? A little piece of Pflugerville. It's the it's the piece that's around the north um, east um, metro park because they want to have a metro park in each of the the, the precinct uh, areas. And so I had to go over east to encircle that. 
Pflugerville, of course, for everybody, uh, sits in between Round Rock and Austin. Uh, and coined a, great, coined a great term uh, uh, to describe themselves, stuck between a rock and a weird place. Oh, there we go. Uh, that is a great, good one. Yep. Great town. Yep. Uh, but, you know, um, do you think uh, with the changing uh, culture of our, of our driving, the way we're driving, people aren't driving as much, they're telecommuting more, we're such a tech industry focused uh, town, maybe people are working from home more than ever before. Um, anecdotally, do you think we, we might still be the most congested mid-sized city in the country? You know, it's hard to tell. We continue to grow at an absolutely unsustainable pace. So if you're thinking of moving to Austin, rethink it. Plus the housing here is just skyrocketed in, in price. And I, I just came back from an international conference and had a chance to work with a lot of local elected officials from around the U.S. and other countries. And a lot of places around the U.S. are experiencing this kind of skyrocketing housing price. Um, so it's hard to tell. I think our a telecommuting initiative uh, it, it took the equivalent of 1,200 cars off the road um, a year. Um, maybe you wouldn't notice that, you know, um, on a, any given day. Um, but it, I think it's offsetting a lot of the new people that are coming here. We're, we're getting like, what, 175 new people a day uh, moving to the area. So it's, it's hard to tell exactly, although it does seem to me like the traffic is not as bad. Uh, as it was before the pandemic, because I still commute in on uh, the days that we have our commissioner's court meetings. I come to those meetings in person, but otherwise I do most of my meeting by telecommuting. I can tell you, I've been on time for more of my meetings than I ever have before. Well, definitely, yeah, it seems like I'm yeah. getting around the city and the yeah. county more quickly, so it yeah. seems like maybe it's gone down a little. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about Austin and Travis County in just a moment, but I do want to ask you about, you mentioned NACO, the National Association of Counties, when you were at the city of Austin, when as, as a council member, you were involved in the National League of Cities. You know, so many of these places where different uh, elected officials that are dealing with local issues can share best practices, model examples through to their you know, compadres around the country and or even around the world like you have. Uh, do you see that as a valuable platform for that sharing of information? Oh, absolutely. I think these um, I think these are incredibly valuable um, mechanisms to share best practices. Um, I'm also really active with a, an international uh, organization uh, whose subtitle is Local Governments for Sustainability. Their official title is is long and the acronym's unpronounceable. It's International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives or ICLE. ICLE. Anyway, um, the whole point of that is to share um, new ideas and creative solutions around sustainability and uh, how various places around the world are dealing with the impacts of climate change. So I think all of these, and I'm the US board chair. Um, so all of these entities uh, serve just a really important function of allowing people uh, to learn from each other literally and uh, you know kind of compare notes notes or if you if you have a problem to bring it to these uh, these conferences and, and put the question out there and I've been I've been doing that for a while on the issue of uh, particularly wildfire evacuation of um, uh, older people who um, who are housebound who either can't drive or have had their, you know, car taken away because grandma or grandpa really shouldn't be driving anymore. And um, I've asked that at, at a number of conferences and I, I've heard some interesting solutions, but I continue to ask it because it, it's an ongoing problem. And I haven't yet heard 
um, a great solution to it. But I think that's the that's the real value of these kinds of, of gatherings. Plus, you get to know people who, you know, you, you want to stay in contact with. And if you're traveling to another city, you know, you'd love to visit with them. So there's also the, the whole um, opportunity to get to know other leaders in other communities and, and establish friendships, which is really valuable. We had an incredible storm in Austin last night. You mentioned, uh, you know, kind of the work on climate related stuff. Flooding is an issue uh, because of the makeup of, of your precinct and frankly, all four precincts in Travis County. Uh, I assume that you've got some real flood prone areas, low water yeah. problems and things yeah. like that. Um, well, they, yeah, they call Austin Flash Flood Alley because there's a lot of steep ravines. We get these really intense uh, sort of cloud bursts, and that's getting more and more extreme with with, uh, with the impact of climate change. I tell people it's like your middle school or grade school science class where you studied the water cycle, uh, or 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 like if you've ever uh, boiled uh, something in a pot of water and when it hit boiling, it, it boiled over. You add heat. And you increase the reaction. Yeah. Um, and, and so we're seeing more and more water in the atmosphere and, and more and more intense rainfalls in places that have never flooded, like New York City, are flooding. Um, so, yeah, that's a real issue for us. It was an issue before uh, a climate change had made things more intense. And it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a worsening problem in the community. Well, you've been a great champion on issues related to climate and so many other great things and, and, a, and a real champion for, I think, budget responsibility, budgetary responsibility in the local governments, uh, both the city and the county where you've been working. Uh, so you're doing all this and being a great steward for the community. So we appreciate you for that, for sure. I was going to ask you about, the you know, you've been such a leader in Austin for so long, in Central Texas for so long. How do you feel Austin and Central Texas is doing? I mean, uh, have we been able to retain our culture and our community through all these years of change and growth? You know, that's such an interesting question, because if you ask most people, they'll say, well, you should have been here 10 years ago. And it doesn't matter what 10 year time frame it is. It's always you should have been here 10 years ago. It was so much better. Um, you know, that's a hard one. Um, musicians can't afford to live here anymore. You know, really creative artists can't afford to live here and. And the joke for the longest time was little bitty town to the east, Elgin is going to be the live music capital of the world because all the musicians have been forced out there. Um, that's a hard one. Um, we're definitely evolving. Um, it, it's, it's becoming a bigger city kind of by leaps and bounds. And it's, it's a little jarring, I think, for people who have, have lived here for a while. But we've got, we've got so many amenities that are just so lovely. For anyone who hasn't been here, when you do come to Austin, make a pilgrimage to Barton Springs. It's this incredible, cool oasis in the heart of the city. And I know of no other place, so I'll challenge people here if they've got examples of it. I know of no other place in the world that has a clean flowing spring in the heart of a major urban area. And that's because the citizens have fought really hard uh, to protect it and preserve it. And so that spirit feels alive to me, where a lot of people feel strongly about protecting the unique and special places in Austin and fight hard to protect and, and preserve them. And that gets, you know, that's that's a struggle as the city continues to to grow in these exponential leaps and bounds. So 
Did you have a favorite special evening in Austin or a favorite special uh, you know, moment in time or a, or a venue or music performance, anything like that, that you remember that you always kind of cherish as what that what that was that 10 year ago, that that special moment in Austin that meant so much to you? You know, it's interesting. Barton Springs is obviously a, a key part of it. Um, and they used to have full moon howls down at Barton Springs until it got so big and so unwieldy that the, the city had to limit it because it's hard to see people at night in the Springs. Um, but Austin city limits festival is really fabulous and a, and a favorite thing to do. And then South by Southwest, I always tell people, it feels to me like someone sprinkled pixie dust over the city. Cause there's musicians on every corner and creative people all over the place and it's just kind of a wild romp through, you know, really interesting people who are sort of drawn to Austin from all over the world uh, to see what's new in the interactive uh, uh, space and in the, in the social media space and the music and the film. I mean, uh, we got to hang out and yak with Frank Marshall after a film, uh, you know, one night. I mean, you just and we met Spike Lee and I mean, just like. Uh, you know, amazing things can happen uh, at these mashups. And so those are some of my favorite. Oh, yeah. There's so many of them. I mean, you know, it's funny. I forgot about the howl at Barton Springs and uh, <laughs> and, and how dark it could be out there and how, how it was just also just amazing. I mean, yeah. 68 yeah. degree water on a warm night and yeah. sweltering nights, just incredibly refreshing, cool water and a full moon. Yeah. And they had music and all kinds of things. That's definitely special. Well, you are a major part of that spirit of the community that you are speaking of. And the reason we have great amenities like Barton Springs and so many other great things is because of your leadership and the leadership of people like you. So we really appreciate you. And thank you so much for joining us today. This is great. And it's great for people to learn about the neat things that you're doing at Travis County. Uh, Travis County Commissioner Bridget Shea, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Matt. It was great to be with you. Really appreciate it. I appreciate you.